Our Father, we are humbled again every time we come to you. We know we've been asked to come and even to come boldly to the throne of grace. And so we do come, Father, at your request. But we know that you're the one who holds our entire lives and future in your hands. Uh, you have sent forth your son to accomplish a great, great redemption indeed, an eternal redemption. And uh, thank you, Father. And we continue to thank and we'll always thank you for intersecting in our lives on countless occasions, some of which we're aware of, many of which we are not. But, uh, Father, someday we'll, we'll know the whole story, even that which is currently unknown to us. So, Father, thank you for drawing us uh, by the word of your grace in, in due time and for the gift of faith and for the great joy that we've come to know in uh, our relationship with you and with our precious Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has brought life and immortality to light. Father, thank you for each one in our group here for managing our affairs. Uh, though the challenges are often many, we know your presence, your love, and your grace. Father, I pray for our nation and also for Israel, Father, and certainly the enemy is at work uh, in such visible ways. And we commit uh, Benjamin Netanyahu to you and his administration there that's that's um, barely uh, establishing itself again. But uh, if it is at all, Father, we don't know the details, but you do. So we just pray for that nation and for its people, Father. Most of all, of course, that they would come to know our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for our nation, its leaders, especially our president and those that serve with him. Father, I pray that they would be bold for that which is right and true, even if the sacrifice of that is found to be so great. And indeed, it does seem to be. So, Father, we just commit them to you. And also all those in government, state and local, wherever they serve, Father, and all those that serve outside of government. Uh, and there are so many, Father, in so many areas that have sacrificed themselves for our military, Father, and all those that have sacrificed themselves there for the sake of, sake of our liberties. Father, we just uh, pray that you would support them, whatever their trials may be, or joys, Father, that you would be with them. Father, thank you for your word, which we now open, and I pray that it would be a blessing to us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're continuing today on uh, our study verse by verse in Paul's letter to the Philippians, still on the witness of the Apostle Paul. And uh, today our title will be Sharing Christ's Suffering is Our Glory and Should Be Our Joy. Sharing Christ's Suffering is Our Glory and Should Be Our Joy. Now, when we go verse by verse, we... Um, cannot avoid the verses that are challenging. They're challenging in different ways. They're not all the same. Some are challenging because the interpretation seems difficult. 
to uh, arrive at. In some cases, the interpretation is clear. The issue is rather one of application. Uh, and uh, so in this case, I would say the interpretation is clear. The application is where the challenge is. <laughs> and that's often the case. The letter to the Philippians is, is correctional regarding the teaching given in Ephesians. So Philippians is very practical, whereas Ephesians is probably the greatest, or at least if not the greatest, uh, the second greatest of Paul's letters teaching doctrine, uh, teaching doctrine. But when the churches fail to apply that doctrine, then there's often a need for another letter, a correctional letter, and that's what Philippians is intended to be <clears throat> so it's correctional and uh, it's correctional because the philippian believers had failed to apply properly the teaching in ephesians in the ephesians letter uh, now paul had given much of this teaching of course when he was in philippi but not all of it because of course the ephesians letter was also distributed and they probably had a copy of it in uh, philippi uh, if not, then uh, Paul is revealing much here that directly relates to our position in Christ Jesus. But far more than just position is uh, the focus here. It's rather the issue of our living out of that position. Last time we looked at how Christ's resurrection power was at work in Paul's life. Christ's resurrection power was at work and how that demanded a great sacrifice on his part, a great sacrifice indeed. He gave up uh, everything that he counted dear, right, for the sake of the Lord. Uh, there was a clear demonstration of the reality of Christ's resurrection power in Paul uh, and uh, his purity of motive was right in the center of the whole thing and should be in the center of our thoughts today. What are our motives? It's one thing to say we're serving Christ. It's another thing to consider our motives. Are they pure or not? And then there's the requirement that one renunciate one's own self-interest in all of this. And uh, then uh, by doing that, we, we become a minister uh, to the body of Christ and God's grace is then shed abroad even through us to others so <laughs> that's the newness of life that we live at work right multiplying itself um, the verse that's been in the forefront of our mind from the beginning here nearly is that uh that one that has to do with the mind of christ right philippians 2 5 let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus that focuses on uh, the mind and certainly gets uh, to the subject very directly of motive, right? What is uh, our motivation? Paul writes about his motivation often, and uh, in that regard, he's able to be uh, our example, right? So much here is about examples. We saw that there were four revealed in the letter as a whole, the first being Christ, secondly, uh, Paul, 
thirdly, Timothy, and fourthly, Epaphroditus. But the main focus, of course, is on Christ's example and then on Paul's. So we're still dealing with Paul's here today. Um, how much did Paul give up for the sake of Christ? He makes a long list. There are seven things he listed there. But when he summarizes it all in verse 7 of Philippians 3, he simply says, What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. That's a general statement. What things I considered gain to me personally, all of that, he says, I counted loss for Christ. Now, you may think that's too excessive. Paul is overstating it there because what about all the good things? Uh, I mean, in what sense could we count them loss for Christ? And uh, Paul is making a radical statement, and I began to explain what that means last time in regard to the law and how that has been set aside and grace has taken its place, right? And what that all means uh, for us personally. And we'll, we'll speak more to that point as we go on in Philippians because it becomes a major focus here in this letter. But Paul's able to see, able to say strongly what things were gained to me, those I kind of lost for Christ. And when he makes the list of things, the last thing he lists is that he had been, as it were, the grand inquisitor. <laughs> he had been the grand inquisitor. He was uh, capturing the believers and uh, accusing them of things worthy of death, right? And uh, Stephen, a great example of that, right? Uh, did Paul ever get over that in the sense psychologically that he could just forget it altogether? I doubt it. Uh, he knew he'd been forgiven. Did he ever forget it? I doubt it. <laughs> uh, he had been the grand inquisitor, and he's able to write a letter like this and make that the center of focus. Because, after all, the first thing in the list and the last thing are the two main focal points. And so the last being the greatest of all, right? that he had been the persecutor of believers. Um, and yet he says that he gave up all of these things. So the persecuting of believers, he considered great gain for him, right? And in the Jewish religious system, it was indeed great gain at that time. Uh, but he gave it all up. Everything he, he had gained, and he said he had more uh, to recommend him uh, than anyone else had to recommend them, right? Because he was the leader of the pack, as it were, right? But he was willing to give it all up for the sake of Christ. And uh, he gave it up willingly, all right, willingly. And the consequence of it all will be great glory. He knew that, right? That, and it was his great hope and expectation that in everything, uh, he would be found to be pure, right? Now, nobody is without sin, so he knew that was true for himself as well. But I think if we remember Moses, and this is an example uh, that really should be uh, always in the forefront of our minds, knowing Scripture as we do, but if you just remember from Hebrews 11, which gives a list of uh, the acts of faith, 
there by picking out of Israel's history these various individuals, right? And so when Moses is mentioned, there's so much about Moses' life that could have been chosen, but uh, those things were not. <laughs> what was chosen is uh, what we read here. And Roy, I'd like that to be read for us from Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 26. Roy? By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, where he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Thank you, Roy. <clears throat> now, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, in this uh, study of ours in Philippians, we see that Christ had recompense unto a reward. We read about that um, also recently, right? And uh, here we see Moses, Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ, in other words, of the anointed one or of the, of the Messiah, right? Uh, for whom he looked expectantly, right? Moses esteemed the reproach Approach of the Lord, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, and so he chose affliction <laughs> rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And for for the uh, second in command, as it were, uh, under uh, Pharaoh, right, even ahead of Pharaoh's own son, right, Moses uh, uh, had every every benefit that the world could offer, but he was willing to cast it all aside and suffer together with his own people instead, right? Um, then it says at the end of that verse 26, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Okay. Hmm. Now you might think that, well, if God promises uh, a person enough, then it's worth giving up everything else to gain that, right? <laughs> As if this is some sort of carnal thing, right? Where uh, religiously we, we want even more, so we give up much to get that later, right? And uh, well, when God has made a promise and one gives up for the sake of that, it's different entirely, right? It's not a carnal hope that Moses had, but a spiritual one, right? <laughs> so he had given up much in this life to gain uh, the blessing of Almighty God uh, in the next life, right? And so it was. Um, he had great respect unto the recompense of the reward by faith. By faith. It says here, it was by faith. It was not by fleshly desire. Okay? So we know it was by faith. It says so. <laughs> he took God at his word, and that's really the heart of Paul's message here in Philippians, taking God at his word. Okay, so again, we're looking at these same verses. Uh, we're, it's going to be a while before we get out of these verses in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. I'll quickly read them again. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, 
not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. I said before, when we go through the word of God verse by verse, we come to verses that are challenging. And that's where we are here again today, verse 10, and then verse 11 in a couple of weeks, Lord, Lord willing. Challenging in a number of ways. In this case, um, I think the biggest challenge is in the area of application. Uh, it, it's a challenge to understand the verses too, but if we take other scripture in, uh, in, in two and consider it comparing scripture with scripture, we will learn what Paul's writing about here, and that's my intention today to show you those other verses that illuminate the meaning of verse 10 here. Uh, but the application of it is such a great challenge. I hesitate, actually, I hesitate to share this with you today for fear you might miss altogether Paul's meaning. And uh, it's just uh, the way it is. That's how I feel about it. Okay. Even though I love these verses and teach them when occasion allows, uh, we're really at the very heart here of what it means to honor Christ according to the riches of his grace, right? We're dealing with that subject. How will we honor Christ? Will it be religiously or by faith, willingly receiving with thanksgiving the riches of his grace. What will it be? Many turn aside to religion, do they not? Will we? That's always the question, right? It's a human nature to do so. So, well, the power of these words we're, we're reading and considering here this morning uh, gain our heart sufficiently? Well, that's always the question should ask ourselves. Okay, so the subject today is sharing Christ's suffering, how that should be, um, it is for our glory, but should be for our joy, right? Okay, you can see why I'd have some intrepidation here talking about sharing Christ's great suffering. Um, the outline is simple enough. It's all about Paul's testimony. Paul testifies that Christ's resurrection power, first of all, requires our great suffering. Secondly, involves the fellowship even in Christ's own suffering. Thirdly, includes conformity to his death. And fourthly, promises great glory. So, Christ's resurrection power operating in us requires great suffering, our own, involves the fellowship in Christ's own suffering, 
includes conformity to his death. There are a lot of, uh, a lot included there. And promises great glory. <laughs> ah, so it should be our joy. And there we are. Okay, first of all, uh, the operation of Christ's resurrection power in us requires our great suffering. Well, we know that, don't we? We know it so well. We read it over and over here. Philippians 3.10. Paul's goal, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Well, this verse summarizes it all. Okay, so... Let's start again afresh here. Every time we come to the word, we should start afresh. Again, the resurrection power is not the same as the resurrection. <laughs> okay, so Paul is not saying here we must testify concerning Christ's resurrection. He's saying testify concerning Christ's resurrection power. Okay, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. So when Christ was raised from the dead, he was raised a life-giving spirit. First Corinthians 15, verse uh, 45, right? Uh, and that has been shed abroad in believers' hearts. Okay, so we have that now. We have the very resurrection life of Christ dwelling within us. We have his life. Now the issue is, will that be operative? Okay. Okay, so it is the power of his resurrection. Then he goes on and says the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Suffering. Paul mentions suffering here. He says it's uh, entering into the fellowship of his suffering that is required. Hmm. Uh, did Paul uh, somehow enter into the very... Sharing, fellowship means sharing, so into the very sharing of Christ's suffering somehow, right? He never knew him, he claimed, according to the flesh, right? It's not like the 12 apostles who did, <clears throat> right? Paul was not there he, he, at the cross, so it seems, right? So how is this possible for Christ to... Uh, somehow still be suffering in such a way that Paul could share in that, right? Um, but if you go back to the very beginning of Paul's experience with the Lord, and that is uh, recorded for us in Acts chapter 9, we see there that uh, this was promised to Paul. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 15, The Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Okay, so suffering was going to be a part of Paul's life and a critical part of it, right? Promised from the beginning, right? So this was a very personal thing for Paul. Now, that 
isn't saying that Paul didn't have to grow into this and had to learn of Christ every day. Yes, it was prophesied from the beginning, but uh, now entering into this is another story altogether, right? And so Saul knew what his life was going to bring, and uh, I'm sure he had some fear and intrepidation regarding it. <laughs> I mean, after all, what a promise this is, right? From God uh, to a man, uh, now you're going to suffer great things for my sake, right? Uh, I want us to, though, look at 2 Corinthians 4, though, because we need the help of other parallel passages or passages that explain this further in order to understand it better, right? What this suffering is all about that Paul writes of here in Philippians 3, verse 10, and the fellowship of that. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Okay, Patty, uh, I would like you actually to read verses 6 through 11, if you would. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are all we delivered unto death for Jesus' sake that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Okay, well, there's so much truth here for hungry spirits, okay, and, and I say that with all boldness. Much spiritual food here for hungry spirits, okay? But you may have turned aside from this in reading it because it seems to be a little too what, heavy, maybe too personal uh, to easily uh, enter into, right? And yet the basic idea is very simple, right? Verse 7 is a popular verse. It's People put it in their refrigerators, right? We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. But what does that say, right? Well, he explains it in the next verses. We're troubled on every side yet not distressed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. And why? What's the meaning of it? He says in verses 10 and 11, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Well, this scripture and one other one was used by the Lord in drawing me into personal ministry and Patty as well many, many years ago. And so when I get to these verses here uh, in our study, it's with a very special um, 
sense of uh, the work of God, right, uh, and the power of God. Um, verses 10 and 11 are about Paul. Paul's giving his testimony, right? Is this also to be true for us is the question, and the answer is absolutely, right? Otherwise, Paul's exhortations are without power, right? Uh, so absolutely, it is also to be true for us. And uh, Paul writes of it in other places in Second Corinthians as well. Linda, I'd like you to read for us in chapter 6. So Second Corinthians chapter 6, if you read uh, verses 1 through 5 and then skip down to verse 8 and read 8, 9, and 10. So 1 through 5 and then 8 through 10, Linda. We then as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I so scorned thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. For in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in affliction, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watching, in fasting. By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastised and not killed, as sorrowful and yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Thank you, Linda. We skipped a few verses just to save time, but uh, they're all important, all of these verses. But uh, it's just, uh, it doesn't just overwhelm our spirits. No offense in anything, in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. And what did that entail? He indicates exactly what it entailed in his own life, what it brought forth, and uh, includes uh, in that list afflictions that's that word that's used uh, earlier and what we read about there in uh, Philippians afflictions the sufferings of Christ right um, but the blessing of it was with resurrection power that's the whole point of what Paul testifies here uh, first the suffering then the glory okay let's go on um, so if this resurrection power of Christ is at work in us, it will involve fellowship. <laughs> okay, even even fellowship in Christ's own suffering. And I, I, uh, I don't want this to be a vague or sort of a mystical thing to you. I want you to see how uh, concrete it really is by taking us to Acts chapter 9 again. In Acts chapter 9, verse 4, remember uh, Saul was on the road to Damascus, right, to capture even more believers, as he thought, for the sake of the glory of God, right? Capturing believers was his thing. He was the grand inquisitor. Okay, so uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 4, he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me and he said who art thou lord and the lord said i am jesus whom thou 
persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Okay, so we see that Christ is so connected to believers that when they suffer, he suffers. And we see that it was true at that time. That's actually a theme in the Old Testament. We could find a number of verses that state it quite directly. I'll just give you two. Isaiah 63, verse 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. (laughs) And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bare them and carried them all the days of old. Okay. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Okay. So uh, the Lord God is so closely connected to believers that he suffers when they suffer. Isaiah 63, 9, Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. He that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. Okay? So when God's people suffer... God himself suffers. And so it was when Saul persecuted believers, right? Christ himself suffered because they were sharing in suffering, right? Okay, so that shows the suffering from God's point of view. But what Paul is dealing with here in these sections is our suffering (laughs) together with him. And that's a profound, profound Uh, dimension of this special relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ as members of his body. Remember, he's the head and we're the members of the body. When one suffers, the other does. And Paul teaches that very clearly in his letters. Now I'd like us to get to what I think is the, uh, the greatest scripture of all in this regard. In Colossians chapter 1, And uh, I'm going to read from chapter 1, verse 24 of Colossians, down to verse 27. Please uh, just uh, take this to heart, if you will. Paul is writing about his own testimony, right? Verse 24, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is which is the church. Let me read that again. That's the key verse here. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind, or that which still lacks, of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill, or to complete, the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of 
glory. And that's really the key. Christ dwells within us today. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, if Christ is in us and we suffer, Christ is going to suffer. You see the direct connection there. And uh, yet there will ultimately be glory throughout all of this, as this is whole plan of God is completed someday, right? So we're left with this great question. Um, will we follow or imitate Paul as he imitates Christ or not, suffering together, right, with him? It means, of course, taking the form of a servant as well and suffering the loss of all things, even suffering the loss of our own confidence in the flesh. Will we? Will we? This is optional. Believers are guaranteed an eternity in heaven, right? By virtue of the finished work of Christ and their faith in that completed work, right? So, we are guaranteed a place in heaven. What Paul is saying here is that there's something optional standing before every believer. Will we, in fact, enter into this life? It is a life which he calls resurrection life, but the resurrection life can only be accomplished after entering into his death. Okay, so really... Death leads to life. It's the only way the life will be a resurrection quality of life is if it comes out of our death. And Paul says we've been identified with Christ, but now the issue is will we enter into this in life? Um, and will we do it with motivations that are pure? Uh, recognizing that the great sacrifice will be made, but <laughs> glory will yet come in due due time, right? Uh, it's not through law and works of law, but it's by faith that this is a possibility. And uh, we're going to speak more to this as we go on through Philippians. But uh, for today, I'd just like to set that before you. It's like we're kind of peeling the layers off of this great revelation, right? When we get to the heart of the matter, we see that we're being called into a walk which is truly glorious indeed. And we are to have joy, therefore, even as earthen vessels. Think about that. That the excellency of the power Maybe of God and not of us. If it were any other way, it would be you exalted rather than the Lord. That's the working of grace, right? That it's always the Lord who is exalted and never us, okay? But we enjoy this uh, when, when we by faith enter into it. So many have turned aside from that or rather may not never have entered into it in the first place. And one of the reasons for that is just ignoring uh, what Paul reveals about it. If we ignore that, we surely have no way to know how God is working today under grace. So 
That's where I'd like to leave it. Uh, question is always, where do we stand, right? Do these scriptures draw you into this life? That's where the power is here in the word of his grace, right? So praise the Lord. Um, are there any comments or any questions today? There have to be a lot of questions and comments. You don't have to ask them. but <laughs> Well, I was just going to mention that as we're obviously growing, drawing closer to the end of times, Mm. that this may become more and more important for us to understand. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. It, it's difficult for those of us who have never known real per- persecution. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all in our imaginations. We've never really known anything. I think it's very scary for us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. It would, yeah. the, the unknown is almost scarier than reality, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, imagination, yeah, it can really get us uh, and turn us upside down, right? <laughs> if our imaginations start to run wild. Well, exactly, and and we, you know, it's a matter of, you know, would would I have the faith uh, to uh, stay faithful to the end? I mean, these are questions that I don't know if you ever know until you face it. And you can't know until you face it, but but we can know one thing, which is that our Dependency is on the Lord, right? Right. We we know where our help cometh, but the matter of our uh, our faithfulness it's, it's it's a struggle, I think, and I think we're going to find out before too long what persecution really is. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're also going to find out that what the rest of verse ten says next week, where he talks about how by God's work we are conformed to the uh, <clears throat> we're conformed okay so it's one thing it's one thing to offer up ourselves to the Lord right for his use <laughs> but think of this the other side of that is him receiving that <laughs> offering and uh, doing his own work and through us, and that's what testimony is really all about. It, it's something each step of the way, right? Uh, what Paul is writing about here isn't only what's going to happen later; it's what is happening today, as His work of grace operates in us. So, I, I think realizing, and I, I like to say it this way, and it's using language maybe that we don't find directly in the Bible, but. Uh, I like to think of God's hand as being upon us, right? The Heavenly Father has his hand upon his children, right? And those who are raised by loving parents know the meaning of that and the value of that, right? And those who are not struggle with that, perhaps. But to know that the hand of God rests upon us through all of our lives and all of our trials that, that's a really a profound thing indeed isn't it There's so much to be thankful for any other comments or questions the times are dark and uh, the days are short right i don't mean because it's late november okay 
If there are no other comments, we'll uh, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you again. Thank you for opening your word. I pray that the scriptures would draw us. The power is here. Would it draw us into what we have not may, maybe uh, been before, which is uh, such willing sacrifices. Uh, that your glory will be revealed in due time, for that is your promise. So, Father, please be with us in this life each step of the way. May we rejoice with pure motives and knowing that what we have sacrificed, uh, you will provide, and uh, even more so, of course. And the glory of it will be revealed ultimately. Christ was uh, given up for all and received back into heaven's glory. And the full revelation of that there is way beyond our comprehension. Someday that revelation will be seen by all. So, Father, we look forward to that and being part of it. And uh, please continue to uh, comfort us in our trials. We would ask this in Christ's name. Amen. And, Mm -hmm. And amen. Well, praise the Lord for his grace.